Dun, dun. Hi, friends. Nice to see you. Just had a sip of my delicious coffee again. That means it's time to start the show, uh, which is really it started like 45 minutes ago. This is just the second half of it. Uh, if you joined us on my friend Joanna's podcast, the Unlearned 16 podcast, which you can get anywhere you get your fine podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. Uh, she is a teacher with 20 years experience. She's an influencer. She's an educator. She's a bright light in dark world when it comes to being able to educate people with like short pieces of content. You can get her on TikTok, Twitter as well, Unlearn 16 and subscribe to her podcast. We literally just finished 45 minutes worth of heater conversations about uh, what's going on in Alberta, what's going on with kids who are trans rights, basic human rights. And we're going to continue that conversation here uh, with my friend who and now I'm part of the community, um, the tattoo community, by the way. You're the super tattoo? tatted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're super tatted. I got my first one. Just want to bring this up at 50 yesterday. There 50 we years go. old. First tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it feel? How, how did you survive it? It didn't feel great. It did. I, it's not great. Oh, you know, and, and, and it's funny because like if it's for anybody to hear this, a little uh, more coffee. Tell them what, what it says, Dean. I'll get to it in just a second. I'll get to the meaning of it in a second. But if you haven't had a tattoo and you've heard people like you see people with lots of tattoos and you get one tattoo, no matter when you get it, you have instant respect for people who have sleeves, who've done their entire quad, someone who's done their neck. Or maybe a part with a bone on it, because I got this on the yeah. on the arm bone, right? It's not like on the forearm or anything. It's just on my right arm, and it it didn't feel awesome. No, it's there not were times when he was going over it again and again and again, where I'm like, man, I don't like this. And you didn't get any color or shading because that's None. the real pain in the ass. Because they'll None. do the outlining, and then on your already affected areas, they'll color in and they'll shade and they'll and then at the very end they'll go, I'm just going to do a little bit of white. White is like the fifth color they use. And, and at that moment, you have to make a decision as a tattoo customer whether or not you're going to punch your tattooist and get escorted out because it's at that point, it's too much. Is it is it because it's on the disaffected area or someone said to me yesterday when I, they were asking me about it, I'm like, because, you know, whatever, it's just a tattoo. My son and I got one. He's 18. He's like, Dad, I want to get the same tattoo as you. And I'll get to the meeting in just a second. I know he's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So we went and got tatted up yesterday. I felt like a total boss. Kind of felt like a badass when I was walking out. I'm like, I, I don't even, I don't even know what's going on, but this right hand with the tattoo on the arm feels so much stronger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're as we were talking to the guy, he's like, do you want any color? And I'm like, no, I heard it hurts more. And he's like, eh, I don't know. Uh, he's like, it might. Certain colors might, but it's really just the people say the color hurts more. He said because it's like. We're going back over an area right. we just demoed with more color, That's so it, it hurts more. That's That's deal. it. It's not yeah. the color doesn't hurt more. However, Lou does say that the red, there's certain colors you really have to dig in. Yeah. Um, red tends to be one of those colors. Funnily enough, a lot of people are allergic, to, not a lot, but some people are allergic to the red. Um, so because it comes from a beetle or something, I don't understand. But it, people can just, and, and their body, if they get red and they're allergic to it, your body just spits it out kind of like a sliver. Oh, wow. So it'll be colored in red and your body will just, it'll bubble, bubble, bubble and like spit out all the red till it's clear again. So people don't do red for that reason, I guess. Well, you get right? a different kind of red. So you have to get a different basis of the red dye, of the red ink. 
You know what I, I, I left yesterday, too? Because this tattoo has meaning. And, and, and the meaning of it is amor fati, memento mori. Amor fati is Latin, so is memento mori. Amor fati means A-M-O-R-F-A-T-I. It means love of fate, really embrace fate. There's no bad situation in life. It's how you respond to that situation that will make you happier, stronger, tougher, cooler, all those things. And I really believe that. And memento mori is really uplifting. It means uh, remember you will die. That's so it's so pleasant. <laughs> but no, the reason why I got them is because it's like these are these are very important tenets to me. Like they are things if that I live my life. You by. will die to give you to 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 alleviate the sense of all consuming importance for everything you do. Like one day, listen, you're not going to be you're not. Yeah. You're not overwhelmed. Everything you do doesn't have to be analyzed to the nth degree. Is that the point? You know, yeah, kind of. Um, so do you want to get into it? I'll get into yeah. it real quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I practice this philosophy called Stoicism. Stoicism is a philosophical tenet. Uh, Zeno of Sidium came up with it about 3,000 years ago when he shipwrecked and he found like this this textbook. And he's like, my God, this is incredible. It's Socratic in nature. And he's like, all these books, I can't believe this knowledge about how to be and how to like ask questions and how to be a better person and how character is really important. So he invents this, not invents, but he kind of cobbles together this idea that you might be in charge of your brain. Like you might be able to figure out life if you're nice to people, work hard. And if you focus on what your response is to every situation, no matter how bad it is. Part of that is negative visualization, negative visual. And so that's the amor fati, which is like, I welcome all things. I don't care how good or bad it is. I find the opportunity to, to grow, get better, get advanced, to learn things through tough situations, going through court cases, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, stuff well, like that's that. That's perfect. I was going to bring that up as soon as you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, we can get to that too. But um, amor fati is the love of fate. I love how things happen to me and around me because that's my challenge every day, right? It's to look at the way that life happens and just say, it's not happening to me. I have agency. I can figure this out and I just have to try. Mm -hmm. And the learning experience takes failure away from my life on a daily basis because you can't fail when you're learning no matter how things go, right? Yeah. And so there's that. And Memento Mori is fascinating because I remember when I started reading Stoicism, Stoic texts, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca and Epictetus. And, you know, you you go through it. And I and I had a I've got a mentor. His name is Donald J. Robertson. He wrote, wrote a book called um, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. And I had to have him kind of really take me through the concept of death. Right. And death is fascinating because it's going to happen to all of us. Right. Like it's not it's you're not you're not avoiding it. And, and, and we'll here's see. the other thing. You don't we'll get to choose. We'll most, most people don't get to choose when it happens. And because of those two factors when it comes to death, it's going to happen. You don't get to decide. It's just the way life works. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. The importance of enjoying, yeah. loving, being a good human being in this experience, responding well, the importance of a more fate, sure. the importance of remembering that this experience is finite. For a lot of us who don't believe in the afterlife, who do believe in the afterlife, and you can, I believe in something. I don't know what it is, but here's the thing. I'm really excited to get there when it does happen. I'm in no rush, but I have zero fear of death at this point of my life. And if you ask me, when you talk to psychiatrists, psychologists, my friends, I work with guys who want to quit drinking, want a better life. One of the things that we really work on, on a daily basis is understanding death. Mm-hmm. And it really, really is. It's getting to a point in your life where it's not this thing you're running away from. It's this thing you deeply understand and respect 
and that motivates you, gives you fuel to take control of your life, to enjoy your life, to be kind to people, to to experience the fruit of this life. And the fruit of this life for me is to be of good character, do acts for the common good and make the community around you just a little bit better every day. That's it. Yeah. So that's the importance of this. Imagine if everybody just lived like that. Yeah, I can actually. My entire family lives like that. My kids live like that. What I find, what I find interesting about the lawsuit coming from Pierre and, and his ridiculous group of rebel news, fake, whatever, is the fact that, like, Dean, you have a level of popularity, but for them to come after you, do they understand they're just magnifying that? Yeah. <laughs> do they understand that this attack is actually going to elevate people who hear you, listen to you, think about if they would have just ignored you, they wouldn't have in like, not only are you raising this money and you're going to go beat them and there's going to be legal precedent for what they're doing and the way they're doing it in those kind of harassing, bullying, I got a bit of money, kind of shut you up kind of way. All they're doing by having this lawsuit is elevating who you are, what you say to a higher level. They're quite stupid, aren't they? Well, you know, I, I think even the word stupid would be litigious, but the way that I would say it is, is that I don't know that they thought it through. Um, you, you thought know, maybe we just throw it down, you'd shut up, you'd yeah. things down and call yeah. it a day? Yeah, and, and listen, I'm I'm just not wired like that, but I'm also I'm also averse to conflict. Like, I'm actually a pretty private person, um, you know, and it give people context. Uh, we were sued back in mid-November by Canada Proud. Canada Proud is owned by a company uh, called uh, Mobilized Media. They do um, meme and messaging and information work for specific conservative a notions. Conservative they do a lot of polls. Yeah, they and they make memes that misrepresent the truth. And, you know, the fire hose of disinformation that you see with the Rebel News and the True Norths and the Fox News and the Breitbarts, they align like that in Canada. And they're funded by conservative donors. And it's a workaround for political parties to have like a third party agency that has the ability to curate messaging, attack their opponents, and destroy people's reputation. So we got sued, what, a month and a half, two months ago for $200,000. But part of the injunction that they asked for was that I never, ever talk about them again. That was like super important. So they're going to have to prove, which, which is fascinating because, you know, when you spend your entire, and they sued me for embarrassing them with defamation. So when you spend like three, four years collecting millions of dollars on behalf of exclusive conservative interests, and then use that money to, damage the reputation of people really to defame people not long ago if you remember trudeau was on vacation and trudeau oh yeah uh, they 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 said oh he took a vacation because it's a bribe which is pure defamation but they know that political institutions aren't going to sue private citizens or private media right they're just not and so these guys go around like they're private media but really all they are is an extension of pierre polyev and the conservative party and pierre's had a bad couple of weeks and we've led the charge so we got sued um and to your point you know, I have been shocked and amazed at the support that we've received yeah. from Canadians who also know what these guys are all about, that are tuned into the idea that rage farming, lying, uh, creating narratives that aren't there, destroying the very fabric of Canada, you know, uh, taking a dump on unity, taking a dump on the truth. And then you've got me standing there. And it's funny because a lot of people are like, I, I didn't have Dean sticking up for Canada in my bingo card today. <laughs> and and I, I wouldn't be doing this if, A, you know, I didn't live by these tenets, 
right? If I wouldn't be, you know, this is not getting sued isn't fun. No. But where is the opportunity and how can you be of good character and how can you stick up for the republic that you serve? Mm-hmm. And this is my way of doing it. And so we started to go fund me a couple of months ago. And I'm like, I get I get chills every day when I look at it and I see so many people give anything they can to stop this, yeah. you know, to stop the ability to, of, 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 you know, political agencies and political parties rage baiting them into being something or stop it because they've had too many fights with their neighbors because they're Canada proud people and they're Pierre Polyev people. And they think that, you know, transgender kids should never be allowed to have their own rights. They think yeah. that theocracy is at the door. They, they think that you should be able to take this small group of people and you should be able to bully other human beings. And you know, the really dangerous slope, we talked about it in your podcast, the really dangerous slope is that you have a media company that's supposed to be informing Canadians. That's what a media company is supposed to do. Acting on behalf of a political company that is trying to kettle and manipulate Canadians, now threatening Canadians, suing Canadians. Yeah, like, how is it's it's a real roundabout way of really screwing with the constitution, right? It really is. And how election laws. Mean, yeah. Sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's so funny that I find it hysterical when these companies sue anybody, considering on how they run their platform and how they run their ridiculous news agency. Embarrassment? Are you okay? Yeah. Like you're going to sue somebody because somebody embarrassed you? And and how the hell are you calculating this $200,000 net loss? I always find that fascinating, too. Like, yeah. did somebody look at you and say, oh, we're not giving you this job because Dean Blundell said you were an ass? Like, it, it's going to have to be that clear of a link. You, But they know they're not trying to really prove anything. They know they're not going to win. They, that's not their goal. Their goal isn't to win. Their goal is to make you quit. Mm-hmm. Just like every big lawsuit, which is a fundamental problem, to be honest, with civil law in both Canada and the United States, because it's never who's right. It's who has more money to put on the side of the winning team. And if we're really talking about that, most media companies are subsidiaries of subsidiaries of subsidiaries, political um, energies or political entities, because no matter what political party you are, because I will put them all in a lot of people in the same bag when you're talking about these little companies in the sense that if I need advertising to function as a paid whatever, I need to make sure my advertisers are happy. If my advertisers are funding a particular political party in order to get corporate tax breaks and you know power structures put in place, then my advertisers over here that are funding political candidate A have a vested interest in telling me how to do my business. Don't run that story, run this story. Don't do that, do this. That is happening all over the goddamn place. Wanna know how we change it? We forcibly, and and as they're trying to get rid of the CBC, guess why they're trying to do that? They're trying to get rid of a publicly funded entity that it doesn't matter, nor should it matter, Who's in political office? They should have the exact same budget, the exact same power. They should be the fifth. They are the fifth estate. Let them do their job. But you have to do their job without reliance on advertising money, because when they're reliant on advertising money, then they become reliant on the same people who are pressuring governments to pass certain policies. There's the problem. Mm. So this nailed it. 
the, the, we should absolutely have a publicly funded, taxpayer driven, mm-hmm. all taxpayer driven um, news agency. And their job is to heaven forbid, tell the goddamn news, not not lead with Kim Kardashian, not lead with the football game because we saw Taylor Swift. Heaven help me. I love them, too. But actually do investigative journalism to any end they get to. And their budget should never change. Mm. No matter if the conservatives, the liberal, the end, it doesn't matter who's in power. They are a separate entity to the government system that exists. We should be looking into not cutting their budget. We should be looking into constitutionally acknowledging this is a need for actually fair media coverage across Canada, right? Yes. Yeah, across Canada. That's what public That's what broadcasters are looking into. I don't Not disagree. All of these other media agencies popping up because they're all yeah. seditiously and secretly, sometimes not even covertly funded by certain. And, and again, yeah. you can apply the same thing for CNN and you can apply the same thing for these big agencies. Their advertisers support certain political backings. If you want them to be straight up, not about the ratings. And and if you're not, because we all just want to see, again, Taylor Swift in the headlines. That's why CNN has played so much friggin' Kanye West. Like, if, we're, if they're going to be driven by user content, like how much viewership and advertising dollars, great. They're going to become less of a news agency and more of an entertainment. Yeah, a cultural entity. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. A cultural entity. That's oh. that and that's the segmentation in this in this there industry, Joe. Yeah, the segmentation is all about culture. How do you super serve a culture? So as always, the Dean Blundell show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io. Do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip. And they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for the beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K dot I-O. You know, to your point, um, we saw a story yesterday that was fascinating. It was a story about Galen Weston. Right. Okay. And, and, and and let me connect some dots here and I'll explain to you how how right you are without knowing that you're incredibly right. And as someone who's come from the traditional media industry, who spent 15 years working in radio right. at a fairly high level, I can explain this because I've lived it. I've seen it. I was part of it. I understand how it works. So 
in the case of Galen Weston, who is under a mountain of bad PR right now because he is one of the biggest, if not the biggest grocery store oligarch in this country. He's voted against fair pricing for groceries because he is an oligarch. He owns basically every delivery system and every way you can get groceries in this country. It's not all he owns either. Uh, Galen Weston also owns a variety of other interests. And Galen Weston's chief lobbyist is a lady named Jenny Byrne. Jenny Byrne was outed as still lobbying on behalf of Loblaws for Loblaws as she is the senior advisor to the leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, which is a massive fucking no-no. It's a, not just a conflict of interest on every level. It is illegal. So having said all that, let me switch gears. New story comes out yesterday on CBC, Canada's national broadcaster, just CBC. Okay. This is this little story that kind of just slipped by that I brought attention to that went viral. And the story was about how 10 years ago, 1,134 people died in a Joe Fresh factory. In oh, India. right. I remember that. 1,134 in one day because the building fucking collapsed. Bangladesh, right? Yeah, in Bangladesh. Sorry, yeah. yes. That is where Galen chose to make cheap sweatshop clothing. Mm-hmm. Okay? This ran in the CBC. It's the only place it ran. It's a big story. And the reason why they ran the story, two reasons. One is people there still haven't received any benefit for dead relatives. Working conditions are still the same. They've done nothing. They've just hid from it. Sure. Now, the reason why that story ran, it's Galen Weston advertises everywhere with the exception of the CBC. So the CBC doesn't take any any Loblaws though. They take no... No big oligopoly money. They don't. So so they're free to run that story. The reason why you don't see stories run about Loblaws is Loblaws is one of the biggest traditional media advertisers, and it is entirely strategic. There you go. It is all about, hey, if I give City TV, if I give Rogers, if I give Bell, let's say we give them all $10 million each year for these advertising, and, and anything happens where someone finds out We've buried like a thousand deaths at a Joe Fresh factory. No one's going to run that story. Well, the CBC did, to your point. And why? Because they're not beholden to Galen Weston for his money. Their budgets don't matter. What matters is getting news to people that is of news interest to the people in this country. So you can curate your example. You can curate your narrative. And you can go around and form. That is executive collusion at its highest level. But it's allowed because it's like, Hey, do you want to lose your budget? Exactly. Because I spent three million with you last year, and I'm going to pull it if you say anything about the Bangladeshi factory deaths. That's like it. that's how it works. Same with Marineland. You remember when Marineland got underneath it a couple of years ago because they were abusing, killing animals. They would spray money all over the place yeah. in traditional media, and you were beholden to not say anything. I remember several conversations I had with station management, radio station management, going, "You are going to talk nicely about Marineland, and if you don't." You're fucking fired because they give us three hundred thousand dollars a year. That's it. That's how it works. That's it. Yeah, that's the one hundred percent right. Yep. That's the end of it. I don't think news should be ever, ever, ever beholden to a political party or beholden to a corporate entity. We should be able to create a free existing again. You you got you got the legislative branch, the executive branch, the judicial. We should have the media being a free, um, operated, not beholden to any of the above, in order to do their jobs and do it well. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. 
And anybody who's saying, oh, we shouldn't fund, we're going to gut the CBC, because the CBC is reliant at this point on advertiser. I think that's a huge problem. Huge, huge. The CBC shouldn't be reliant on advertising money at all. I think it it always skews um, what they can say, how they can say. It just does. Yeah, but there's an argument you made because, listen, every single one of our traditional media outlets in this country is also government funded with taxpayer subsidies, money sure. that they beg for every day. Paul Godfrey, Rennie Rand, National Post and the Post Media Company in Canada I uh, said, hey, listen, one of our beg for that either. The minute they have to beg for that, they haven't done their jobs. They capitulate to whatever government's in power. 100 percent. Bullshit. They shouldn't be able to. They shouldn't have to do that either. There should be a standing. This is it. Yeah. We, You know, th- this is the space where money of any kind and political clout does not get to cloud, does not get to. Uh, you know, decide narrative. Yeah, you can't. You, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It should be between taxpayers. Exactly. Yeah. The CBC should be run by taxpayers for Period. taxpayers. It shouldn't That's have it. people on the board that are friendly with these guys or that yeah. guys. But Absolutely it's not. it's unfortunately randomly out. pick them by draw. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if my name would get picked for a Just CBC saying. position. I don't think I don't think I'd take it. I don't Did think you? I'd take it because it'd be like you got to watch all the shows on Jim, and I'm not interested in that. <laughs> They're like, what do you think about Jim? I'm like, listen, I can't. Listen, we should just get rid of it. Look, in the CBC, maybe there's places we can cut. I, yeah, I don't mean to be mean, but I'm just saying maybe there's spaces we can cut. I would. The CBC should be, um, better than the BBC. It should be. It it should be the place everybody looks to. Why? Because it doesn't have any of those influential people being able to control and mitigate and and change. And everybody from every political party should enjoy this, mm-hmm. technically. And the only reason you stand against it, you're like, oh well, shit. Like my connection to that billionaire is not going to make any difference now. Mm-hmm. That should be the only guy that has a problem with it. And, and to be honest, lots of politicians will have a problem with it because they all have, they all call in bets. They all, you know what I mean? Oh, it's amazing. Like, dude, I remember when I was on the radio, they would, you know, you'd get a phone call. It's like, hey, you got to interview Tim Hudak. And I'm like, oh, that's why? Well, he wants to come in and talk about the new oh, conservative sorry. platform. And I'm like, all right. And then it's like the next day, it's like, hey, you got to interview Tony Clement. And I'm like, Tony Clement? It's like, yeah, what is he? And he's like, he's the finance minister of Canada. I'm like, all right. Hey, you got to hire Tony Clement's son as your intern. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Cause he was buddies. And I'm like, all right. So Max lovely person who, by the way, goes by Maxine now. So it's really nice. Like I'm really happy. Great human being. And, really? and you know, she has a, uh, Tony yeah. has a trans daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Very proud. Very proud. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. That. Um, well, wouldn't this be a lovely time to have him back on my podcast so we can talk about what Danielle Smith's done. So he has to ally himself in a very uncomfortable position. Yeah, let's be honest, his boss would be, well, they're all Reform Party members, right? And Stephen Harper is still his boss. Come on now. He's still Stephen everybody's Harper boss. Stephen Harper is Pee-Pee's boss, He's too. He's everybody's boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So what's up yeah, going on with Danielle Smith? if you're a religious Smith? ideologue, your boss is Stephen Harper. He's the guy. Every time I look at Stephen Harper, I think of that line from Jaws when Quint talks about what happens when a shark's eyes roll over what, like you look at him and it's a doll's eyes until they roll over white. And I'm like, that's Stephen Harper's eyes. They're like dead inside. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's one of those like, 
and it's not just Stephen Harper too, right? Like it, it is, it is every single person that is attached to anything to do with any conservative interest, because that's why I had to interview these guys. They all had, you know, conservative friends and conservative government. Let's keep access to these people. So you'd have them in, you'd have them on your show, whether it be John Tory or whether it be in, and, and you're like, Oh, I'm just repeating the, the talking points that my boss at the time was like, Hey, and, and he got the order of Canada from Stephen Harper shortly thereafter for, you know, helping the institution, helping people see the conservative light, helping him, you know, kettle people, putting conservative there people in front of the media list. Yes. And, and dude, I was that guy. Right. Like he would call me and go, I need you to interview the student. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever you need. Cause you pay me a lot of money to be here and you allow me to say all kinds of gnarly shit. So right. if you need me to interview that guy, I will, but that's how you're beholden to it. Like you they attach a paycheck to it and then they tell you that this is what you got to do. But those executive relationships, to your point, they run media and they always have, and they always will. It's nothing new. Right. Nothing it new. isn't anything new. Right. No. And that's why, but the funny part when people like Peterson or Musk or whatever, talk about legacy media they pretend as though it doesn't infiltrate every single branch of the media. You talk about rebel news and proud, whatever, what is it called again? Canada proud. proud. Yeah. Yeah. Proud. yeah. All of these, all of these small media look there in order to make money, which to make it their job, they need to make money in order to make money. They need to succumb and they need to ally themselves with political interests that connect to specific advertising money. That is it. As soon as you need to rely on money to tell the news, mm -hmm. you are now connected. You are now, you are going to have to exclude certain stories and your bias ones. There's no, there's no way around it. No, there's no way around it. So to no. as though all this up and coming garbage isn't le legacy, isn't just new baby legacy is stupid. It's all the same. It, it is. It is. And you can tell the, the the decent players by people who are willing to risk client privilege. Right. You're, yeah. Th that's how you can tell that you're reading or you're viewing or you're consuming information that's accountable. It's when someone can say, hey, these guys advertise, but they also killed like eleven hundred Bangladeshis 10 years ago and no one's got restitution. So right. got to run the story. You see it in sports media quite a bit, too, Joe, where. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks are able to hide horrific sexual abuse for a long period of time where every sports donkey at TSN and Sportsnet knew about it, but they never reported on it until right. Rick Westhead was allowed to. Right. Same thing with the under 18, the Canadian junior team. It's there's another example. You know, that gets buried for six years, right. six years. And that was like that wasn't just a rumor. And it, it, I did sports radio for a couple of years. It was a disaster. I couldn't stand it. the amount of stories and secrets that are kept in sports media I can't about either. the behavior of their heroes so they don't lose access, parking spots, same thing. It's the same thing. It's why you see media institutions that are unwilling to criticize purebred lies from Pierre Polyev about terror attacks, about whose responsibility it is for you, the, the fact that you can't own a home, interest rates, mortgage rates, prices on, on homes and speculations on homes in different areas. It's the same thing. It's, like, it's it's if we can kind of not call those people out as media outlets, if it's Bell, if it's Rogers, if it's the post media yeah. network, let's not draw attention to the lies. Let's not draw attention to let's not do our jobs effectively. Mm -hmm. Let's not do them because it's going to cost us a relationship over there. We might lose a parking spot or we might lose our question in the queue post game because they won't come to us because we wrote a story that they didn't like. 
that is how it has always worked. Look, always. At the end of the day, here's what the best reporter is. It's not about how well they write. I don't even think you could write in bullet points. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I know it's funny considering I slam everybody's grammar on Twitter uh, or on TikTok, but you could write in bullet points and get the story across. Here's the best kind of person to be an investigative journalist. They have few to no friends. They wear the same outfit every day because they could give a crap about money. They have a maniacal need, an almost obsessive need to get every bit of every truth and every piece of the story included and included specifically. I'm describing a very particular type of person. That's the person we want. The minute you have big friends, you go to big parties, you drive a nice car, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. You're absolute, you're on the hook for something. The minute mm -hmm. you have a family and you have to provide for said family, you're, you're, you're now going to make economic choices that benefit you and your family above benefiting the truth. We need guys and girls living in, in tiny little apartments with that typewriter and their only quest <laughs> <laughs> to tell that damn story. Hey, can I, can I ask about this typewriter? What year is, is this scenario? The minute you give them the internet, it's a problem. What year is this scenario? What year are we at? Is a typewriter? I need you in a in a chair. I need you in 1957 with a light and a full scap piece of paper and an HB yellow pencil, and I see you chasing down the truth. That's it. Yeah. The Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact-check anything that you read. It doesn't matter. If it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact-check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again. Want to beta test their product? They're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. Back to the show. No, you're right. You, I, I, you, we need those animals, but we don't I mean, have them. I'm being ridiculous, but, but that's the reality, right? This, this pretense, this ridiculousness of people don't have bias. Yeah. The, the, the garbage that's been predicated to either build an educational system that's full of bias, and we can come back to Danielle Smith, build a governmental system that's full of bias, build a, a legal system that is full of bias. <laughs> the reality is we all have it and we're all pretending as though we're objective creatures. No, we're not. Stop saying, stop pretending that, stop selling it. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest line of garbage that we ever sell on anybody. Education is probably my favorite. The notion, the, the whole back to basics thing, back to what? Back to when we segregated schools, back to when we didn't care about mental health, we didn't care about dyslexia and autism, back to when we excluded kids on droves if they were having any sort of addiction issues, home life issues, they just got bounced out of school, back to when the only way to test somebody's intelligence was a standardized test or sitting down and writing a 72-page paper in a certain amount of time, back to what? Mm. That was never objective. That just gave power and privilege to people who thought in a certain way and could do certain things. Mm -hmm. And every ounce of genius we see in anybody never fits that model. 
You, we, we can't even allow for everybody who is genius leave school. Why? Because we built a school that pretends to be objective, but it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever calculate, doesn't ever get to geniuses. What the hell is that? It's just objective in the way that it only teaches one particular way, one particular um, ideology, one particular sort of um, piece of history. Mm -hmm. The first thing I do in history class every single year, right now I'm teaching world history from the 15th century to now. Want to know how many pages in the book? Less than 500. That's a that's a lot to this is a lot of decades and, and generations and millennia to cover and objective <laughs> have we lost our minds? It's not uh, about the lies in the book. It's yeah. about what the book doesn't include. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about what they've chosen to exempt, what they've chosen to disclude and hide and bury. And that's what politicians do, and Danielle Smith is doing in Alberta right now. She's pulling these tiny little threads and using them as the only piece of information, as the only valuable piece of, of science or value. I say that word lightly with her valuable piece of, of sort of political will or political ideology or cultural reality or, 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 and she uses it as though it's it. This is it. I'm giving you all the information here. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. You know, when she says, well, parents should have rights to protect your kids. What a blanket, goddamn ridiculous waste of a sentence that is. What Why? does that mean? That Why? doesn't mean anything except yeah. she's going to spin it and she's going to use it for this particular case because she's going to exclude the 95% of the people that say the exact opposite. And that's the frustrating part. The frustrating part is what they don't say. And this is what conservatives are really, really good at. And I say it time and time again, heaven help me. They boil crap down to a meme and a 30-second clip and a tax cut, and it will stop those people. And we, as the voting public, need to start taking some goddamn accountability for being this stupid. Mm. And I use the word stupid purposefully because... There is no reason you cannot educate yourself today. Mm. 20 years ago, sure. You got the one history textbook. You had to believe your history teacher. You have to believe the newspaper. How the hell are you checking on what's going on in, I don't know, Chad? You can't. Now there's no reason but utter laziness and choice. When I say stupid. Willing ignorance. Willing stupidity. Yeah. Chose it. You said, I like this reality. I'm going to live here. I'm going to stay I'm here. And I'm not going to let any other idea, piece of evidence, fact, nothing breach or, or manipulate the things I already think and the things that person is telling me to think. That's our problem. Ignorance is the goal, though. Everywhere. Isn't ignorance the goal uh, when you thing. see stuff they like this? Dean. Yeah. It yeah. is bliss. They seem... Yeah happy well and there are a lot of people that don't want to like think about what yeah. you know it's just too much for their small brains it it's like what, okay if they decide to wear a dress what does that mean do they like guys do they like girls i can't even think about it because yeah. it makes me uncomfortable because then i'm going to start asking questions about my sexuality and how that hey, works shut it right? down they want to shut it down i get it i get the desire yeah. and and i get the desire even more so now when i see or when we become aware of like a this this beautiful thing called the internet but this terrifying mm -hmm. thing called the internet where 
We are now inundated with so many truths and so many realities that we have ignored or have been shielded from us for so many years. Mm. And even if we haven't been shielded from them, let's say you're a new generation, right? Like you're one of my little grade seven and eights who are, by the way, brilliant. This is a lot of information. Mm. How do I sift through it? How do I find what is real? How do I find what is easily manipulated? How this is easily manipulated? Can I ever be sure? If I can never be sure of anything, what can I cling to to make my reality true? Mm. And that's mm. why I'm so mad at postmodernism. Jordan Peterson and all of the anybody who even attempts to understand it, they're so mad at Marx. And they're so because what they all said in a very uncomfortable way is there is no truth. There's barely a reality. We're all just going about our days from our own perspective and our own lived experience. And we're hoping to find some interweaving connections. Mm -hmm. So for functionalists and for, for conservative development, who's just like, well, I just want A, B and C to fit into A, B and C and call it a day because everything else is too hard. It's making their ears bleed because they never wanted to put that much thought into people and society and our system. They just wanted the system to run. But listen, as someone who grew up in that ideology, someone who grew up in an evangelical Christian home, someone who went to youth group, someone who got sent to Christian boarding school, someone who was propagandized into this stuff. Do you know why they don't want to hear it? You know why they don't allow secular education in schools? Do you know why? They lose control. They absolutely lose control of the individual, and that individual is educated, and they start asking questions about creationism, about LGBTQ rights. This is why I can't get behind conservative. People ask me why I can't get behind conservative ideology. And there's some conservatives who are nerds. I just look at them and I go, look, if those fucking just on on visual, if those guys are that big of nerds and they believe what they believe, I have no desire to believe any of it. The idea they believe so strongly, because conservative ideology really has been mutated over the last, you know, 50 years, because it used to be very obviously, clearly loudspeaker based in tradition and traditional religious values. Mm -hmm. Fine. That makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is now you've shifted it, right? The Republican Party and the Conservative Party still have this. But don't these asses talk about the individual all the time like they should have some complete control over their own lives, their entity. This hyper level of individualization doesn't go with your traditional conservative religious values. Those two things don't go together. They can't. They are at odds. And somehow people believe, well, I can still be an individual as long as I follow all of these other things on this template right here. And heaven forbid I ever stray from it because then I'm no longer, they can't go together. No. Individualism only goes with liberalism, not the liberal party. Everybody calm down. It goes with liberalism in the sense that everything is changing. Everything is progress. Everything is new. And we're constantly having to reinvent. And the individual should be leading that charge. Conservative believes Everything can't be new. The individual shouldn't be leading it because we already figured it out 3,000 years ago. We should just be following the template. That's the difference between those two ideologies. But somehow the Conservative Party, the Republican Party, and, and this is why I think they're so focused on these stupid guns, because they've just said the only way you can be an individual is have a bunch of guns. Because yeah, it yeah, doesn't actually amendment. disrupt. It doesn't disrupt their base. It doesn't disrupt 
this is the way, this is the life you're going to lead. These are the structures. These are the rules of the structures. Here, have a gun. It'll make you feel powerful. I, I can't think of any other reason. It's an adopted ideology, right? And, and here's the issue that a lot of people have that are in my shoes that have grown up in that horse shit. And it is horse shit. It is pure fantasy. It is, you know, if you don't believe that Jesus is going to come back and take you up into the sky during the rapture, which has come and gone 4,000 times, then you believe that you shouldn't be unequally yoked and you believe that you should, the woman is not the head of the house, or sorry, the man is the head of the household, the woman needs to submit to her husband, that you also believe that being gay is a sin and being gay is an aberration, all these things that come from the church, and to your point, they don't want those things to change. So if you know that that traditionalism has that kind of hate, exclusionary hate built into it as a form of sin, and you know that these people that are riding for that religious brand that kind of theocratic brand hold their eternal salvation, meaning what they think is going to happen when they die, because that's why they're in this, right? They've been told that they're going to live forever. And every decision they make on this planet is a reflection of their Lord and their religion. What do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to serve the people? They never do. They never do. It's this overriding need to serve the person that is going to give you this golden ticket. If you've seen the Polar Express, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, listen, I got this golden ticket. I'm going to go to heaven because I said this prayer. All I have to do is completely and utterly submit myself to something that is totally and wholly unprovable, and I have to act like those people and believe the things they say. There is no individualism in adopting someone else's ideology or someone else's operating system. There is, and here's the other thing. You wonder why a lot of those people, Joe, believe, and I've, I've come to this recently. You wonder why a lot of those people are like, we're, we're fucking down for a dictatorial government. Hmm. We're, ba- we're down to be kettled by MAGA and Maple MAGA. We're down for Trump. We're down for PP. We're down to be told that you people have to be oppressed. We're down for dictatorships. Do you know why they do that? Because like that is evangelical religion sure. at its core. You to you Dude, you have to be told. You can't figure it out on your own. Look, the ability it, to reason and critically think does not I don't exist. Want it, but, but here, I understand. Let me play devil's advocate. I understand not wanting it. To critical thinking and constantly evaluating is exhausting. It is exhausting. And for somebody, for anyway, like you're talking about religion, but we could be talking about functionalism as a societal construct, right? This idea that everybody has their spot, everybody's supposed to do their job. And if we all do our jobs well, we all get better and we all progress and life goes on. There's a reason why the Bible and the Quran, and I don't know what it says in the Torah, but there's a reason why religion doesn't like homosexuality. It's very practical. We don't have babies. I realize there's a whole IVF thing going on right now. I get it. Science has stepped in and really changed all of that. But for the most part, pre-IVF, okay, gay couples don't have babies. And this is a problem because you're not populating. If you're not populating, you're not building for the society, the religion, the whatever. And, And the crazy part is you hear guys like Matt Walsh and Elon Musk talk about it as though it's a competition between us and them, whoever they are, right? The immigrants, the refugees, the whatever, they're having so much more babies than us. We got to start having more babies. That's what it's about. And if we don't have more babies and our way of life then dies, somehow their way of life, whoever they are, their way of life wins and wins and our functionalism gets changed and we no longer have the clear, you know, uh, categories. People like being told, 
if you are this, you are to stay on this track, dress this way, get this kind of job, perform this role at home because they mm -hmm. don't want to think individually. They and, and it's hysterical to me that identity politics is hated by guys like Jordan Peterson and Matt Walsh when their major, their, their foundational model is identity politics between men and women. They just don't want any more identity politics. They just want the fact when you're a guy, you think this way. When you're a girl, you think this way. That's the only identity we ever shall have. And we're going to run with it. And that is the foundation. Nobody else is allowed to have a group identity except for that. I think it's hysterical. Nobody's ever, I've never heard anybody point out to Jordan Peterson, you hate identity politics, but you've spent your whole life boiling down men and women and their roles differently. Sure. How is that not identity politics? It's all it is. I mean, and you bring up some points here in terms of the kind of individual that loves to deliver that kind of message. And it's that individual that's threatened. Right. And that's the message in the fear porn that gets peddled. It's like, hey, listen, they're coming. And I see this meme all the time. Everybody uses it. Doesn't matter what side you're on. I've even almost considered using. They're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just in the way. Right. You know, that is how those guys like to paint themselves as these martyrs for sure. this culture. That requires little, and this is the part that makes me laugh, to be honest with you. If you want to boil it down and popularize it, how, what we're talking about here is we're talking about a group of individuals who are not smart enough, right, or don't have the emotional quotient or the mental quotient to understand or think about anything that sits outside what they're told to understand and think. And the threat is very fucking real, Joe, to these guys. And the reason why it's real is because they've they've literally bet the farm on it like their entire existence is not about being here now it's about being here now so they can get a better seat in the afterlife for a lot of these people so you can have if depending on what abrahamic religion you're from so you can have more virgins so you can so you can sit at the right hand of god so you can be considered this martyr for a culture so that you can stand up for these belief systems that you've adopted that belong to someone else. That's the most incredible part to me. It's like, my God, the operating system that I work on, the operating system that I own today is a collection of other philosophies and operating systems, cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of it comes from Buddhism. Some of it comes from ancient texts. Some of it comes from like psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. I've cobbled a value system together that works for me. Right. And what works for me is what we've talked about here. More Fati. What works for me is remembering that I'm going to die. What works for me is remembering that if I'm a good person, the karma around me will change. The way I respond to life will change. If I get control of my emotions, if I make space for people and I that means I get to learn from them and listen to them and I get to be considered an advocate. That is that doesn't exist in religious text. It is. This is the way you will live because your entire existence after you die counts on it and to your point that is why every single abrahamic religious zealot that holds office is duplicitous in their actions to do so because that, yeah. they do not serve you right. because behind that fourth wall is this tightly held secret and that secret is if i get an opportunity to insert jesus christ and what i think is right for me in everybody else's life. Sure. I am a good and faithful servant. That's the secret that they keep. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to those speak about, 
how it, you know separating religion let's like let, let's look at an average average secular like not religious because there's so many more secular families now even though they might believe in something they don't go to church or they don't go to mosque or they don't you know whatever and and they just live their lives here's what i think those individuals you know working 9 to 5 raising a family loving their family being enveloped in their own tiny bubble to make it work and make it happy and go through the struggles and the stressors and everything life life has to offer. Those people are looking for consistencies to make them feel better and make them seem as though they have more control over that everyday life. Mm -hmm. And I think even without the God and the afterlife, I think they're very much looking for a functionalist society, for this idea of a throwback so I don't have to think too much. And, and not because they're bad people, not because they can't get educated, not because of it, but because life's freaking hard. And it's and this is why, make no mistake, this is why the let's get them always gets escalated in times of economic, social and um, violent upheaval because everything seems out of goddamn control. And the more things seem out of control, the more we want somebody. And again put religion to the side because now we're looking to politicians to do it. The more we want somebody to stand in front of us and say, I know the problem. I know where it's coming from. It is them. Don't worry. I'm going to fix it. And it makes everybody go wrongly. Yeah. Right. Wrongly. Mm -hmm. But it's still about having faith in somebody outside of yourself to fix whatever's going on in your world. So there, there is no mistake as to, Trump's inherent popularity because he got elected under the premise of bullcrap, you know, statements like I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to keep them out. I'm going to bring back America to when it was super high and y'all had factory jobs paying 80 grand a year, none of which was true. But shit, that really sounded great to a guy living in Michigan and his house is now worth $25,000 when it was once worth $300,000 because the plant left and they're screwed. Mm -hmm. So it's a very real catastrophic problem that they figure is going to be fixed by an individual because understanding, guys, understanding deep-rooted economic theory and industrialization and globalization and international trade and free trade that's a sh- that that's too much it's a big hill to climb yeah too much it's too much <laughs> a lot of times for me and that's what i immerse myself in but if i was you know my mom my mom was a nurse for 40 years and i and i'm working shift work and i'm that job is hard and it's emotionally and physically taxing i come home and i take care of my kid and i pay my mortgage i don't have time to learn about the implications of free trade on the average car worker in michigan and how that's been shi- i don't have time i want somebody though at the top of that to tell me everything's going to be okay they're going to handle it and they're going to kick out anybody who's not actually playing by the rules that they've set up in order to make my life better that's what they're playing on they're playing on this idea that everything is actually quite complex and we don't have time in our everyday the average person doesn't have time the inclination and sometimes the education 
to understand the depths of reality when it comes to all of those things. We're talking about how many people are trying to come across the border. Nobody is talking about what the United States and the United Fruit Company did to South America, South American governments, South American economies, how they propped up dictators and families to create oligarchies in South America in order to feed their economic bottom line. And now we're shocked that South American countries can't pull it together and have healthy functional democracies and economic systems. And they're all trying to get into the United States, which by the way, the only reason they're trying to get there is because Tyson food is ready to pay them next to nothing and treat them like garbage. But at least it was better than when they were in Honduras. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What fruit farms, vegetable farms, farms, lettuce farms. I yes. mean, migrant work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, Hey, let's get those people for like six you bucks listen an hour. To the guy who just yeah. says build a wall. Yeah. Because it's easier mm -hmm. because the solution that the, the, they don't understand the problem and the solution is so hard to grasp and requires so much accountability that, that they don't know where to start. Understand it. I don't yeah. want a part of it. They, they don't know where to start. It's like having a messy room. That's what I say to people all the time. And I'm fortunate enough to work with guys who are like, hey, I, I need help with drinking. I need help with thinking. I need help with perception. I need help. I'm in trouble. And to each one of those guys, it's the, the starting point's the exact same. I'm like, does it kind of feel like, and this is the analogy that I use, does it sort of feel like you walked into an incredibly messy bedroom and you don't know where to start? And it fucking, it's just this mountain that you're like, no, I'm going to yeah. shut the door. I'm yeah. going to go out there. It was way easier having other people think for me, do for me. It's way easier to get into the drink. Oh, and they're like 100%. That's exactly Burn the house down. Yeah. Burn the house down. That's not yeah. the problem because as soon as I move into another house, I'm going to create the same problems. Burn that house down because it gives the illusion that I fixed the problem. Mm -hmm. I haven't. I fixed or I eliminated one symptom. Yeah. And that's building the wall. It's just, it, I'm going to fix a symptom. I'm not going to fix or address the problem because it's too big and it's going to, it, it's also not going to happen within a four year period. Mm -hmm. Our political system is set up so that for the most part, give or take, you have four years to do your job. And if you don't do your job in four years, we're going to kick you out. Well, most jobs of any significance, of any importance, of any legitimacy take longer than four years. But we as the public get anxious and annoyed and we don't want to spend tax dollars and we want to see results. And if we don't see results, we're going to vote for the next guy who promises results in the next four years. And when the results don't happen in the next four years, we vote for the next guy. And it's this horrible cycle because what we don't understand is significant problems require significant solutions. We've built them over a long period of time. They're going to take a long period of time to fix. Education is a great example. Healthcare is a great example. The environment is a monster of an example. We have spent the better part of our lives. Believe in global warming. I don't care. I don't care what you believe. What you have to understand and what you have to admit is that we're using our earth like a dumping ground for excess consumption, period, period. And if we want to fix that, it's going to cost us money and we're going to have to work on it for a very long period of time to, to fix what we've done up until this date. Now, we can pretend it doesn't exist. We're going to burn the house down. Global warming doesn't exist. Fine. You want to do that? That's just the symptom. That's just the symptom. The problem is our mass consumption society that is bent on buying and buying and buying to prop up a capitalist system that will fail in that capacity. There's only so much we can buy. 
We are going to build it up, build it up, build it up, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away, and be shocked when we're overwhelmed by um, landfill sites and pollution, and we've destroyed our waterways, and we've done this and done that, all because we've created a system that is bent on this idea of mass production and mass consumption. You ever see the movie Wally? No. Oh, you should. That's what it's based on. It doesn't look so bad. You fly around and you're just lazy and you fly around in chairs and like soda pop just appears in front of your hand. Because we've destroyed the earth, so we go into space and we have just things we don't have to do. What do you think of Elon Musk? Elon Musk is burning this. Elon Musk is like, we got to go to Mars. We got to go to Mars because we're burning this down. (laughs) And he doesn't give a shit about anything. Like (laughs) It's done. That's what he wants. He wants to burn down the house because he realizes it's too much trouble to go in and clean it. Burn Mm -hmm. it down. Let's go to Mars. Yeah, let's go. Let's head there. Totally uh, it's totally it's totally. amazing to me. You know, it's funny. I can sit here and have this conversation with you and we can go for probably another couple of hours on, you know, sharing thoughts on critical thinking, sharing thoughts on ideology, sharing thoughts on what not thinking critically, not having human beings in their best interest at the front of your thought queue does to society. But we're seeing it. These are the issues that we're talking about. Right. We're talking about that when it comes to misinformation. We're talking about it when it comes to trans ideologies. We're talking about it when it comes to religious ideologies. We're talking about society and why society is supposed to work together. And if I'd be remiss not to say this, too. We're supposed to work together. All of us are. We're not supposed to be fighting each other. We're not supposed to be going after each other's belief systems. We're supposed to be going after the institutions that perpetrate the worst of those belief systems. Mm -hmm. But somehow, you know, they've been able to kind of tag us into fighting each other, right? And that's, that's the point. Yeah, Actually, that's the only that that the, the black, hide the class war behind a culture war. Yeah, a hundred percent. The yeah. the the best thing, and I mean this facetiously, the most powerful thing colonial governments ever did and ever taught people how to do was create division, so that you have your you are oppressing a group of people and you set it up so you divide them dividing and conquer you divide them let them fight amongst themselves one time take their side one time take their side all the while they realize that you're the one that's benefiting off of all of it that is the most um significant powerful lesson that was learned after colonial times when people say we stopped talking about colonialism i'm like listen the lessons are the lessons they have taught and that allowed them to gain and monopolize and and then utilize that much power, those lessons are still through and through our culture, Mm -hmm. through and through our ideologies. How do I pit A versus B so I get to ride above it all and make money off of both? We -hmm. do it internationally. We do it domestically. We do it corporately. We do it in every way, shape, and form. Capitalism is predicated on it. Competition makes you the best. Beating that guy makes you the best. I don't know. And again, people are like, oh, she's such a communist. Listen, I'm not saying that I know the solution. I am saying, can we all acknowledge the flaw in the very economic model that is running our world that tells all of us we fight each other first and that's what makes us rise to our best. Yeah. That fundamental belief is the problem. Mm. People have been making cabillions of dollars from it forever. Yeah. We're the pawns, right? We're the marks 
uh, when it comes to votes, when it comes to consumerism, when it comes to ideology, when it comes to enacting process and policies, it's like we're the marks you need to get. You need to confuse as many of those people as you can. Uh, there's no one I love better. What's that? Go ahead. Or cooperatively. That's your downfall. Yeah. But we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it. It's cyclical. And you study history, teach history. This is every 80 to 90 years. You know, there's an economic issue. And as you pointed out earlier in the conversation, they hide behind that economic issue and they bring all their friends with them as hateful as they are uh, to say, hey, this is a window of opportunity for us to go back to certain values or to appease certain media partners, to appease certain captains of industry that will keep us in business, that will keep us in office, that will give us the opportunity to get taxpayer bank accounts and pay them with it. Right. All short lived. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. I love talking to you. Me too. I talk to you. For really good all day. You know what's so funny? By the you end wanna? of our two hours, my throat's always like, I gotta, I gotta go help Anna with her uh, audition. You don't want a podcast for the rest of the day? Do like a podcast telethon? We'll say it's for Jerry's kids. We should. We should one day though. We should yeah. do a live. We should do a live where we we should do a live for your thing where it raises money. Oh, for uh, Canada Proud. Maybe we'll yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. You want to do a telethon? That'd be I'll fun. I'll do a telethon. 100%. I, can, yeah. I wonder how long I can talk for. We uh, should do a telethon, but you have to buy in. Yeah, right? yeah. To so join like, in, you got to sub. Watch, you got to pay 10 bucks for whatever. And you buy in. All the money goes to fight this. And we just talk. And if we do a live, people can ask questions. It can direct the conversation. I'm in. Set it all up. All right. Done. Do Joanna. It. Unlearn 16, the name of the podcast. Go and get your podcast. Um, Thank you for educating me. Thanks for taking a minute uh, and having coffee with me today to have a conversation about things that actually matter to kind of help Sherpa people through. And and it's funny, you know, like the questions that I pose to you or maybe some of the statements I pose to you, I pose the statements, hopefully, because you're, you know, I look at you like, I'm going to say this is a statement and I hope it's right. But uh, if if it's not, Joanne, I'll tell me. There's not a lot of, but it's so funny. I think we spend so much time being, trying to be right, myself included. We miss a lot of the the dialogue and the nuance that actually is important. Mm-hmm. You know, the number one question I would ask any political leader, party member, and I wish they would do this public, publicly, what's the one flaw in your party? What's the one flaw in your ideology? What's the chink in your armor? Because I can point out conservative chinks, liberal chinks, and deep, I can I can look at them all. Can you? Mm-hmm. And if they can, then I believe. Then I'm more inclined to want to listen to what else they have to say because they've thought about it critically. If you're just going to sit there and spawn off how perfect you are, no, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Me neither. That's why we're friends. Yeah. Joanna, thanks for doing this. Joanna Johnson, Unlearn 16, name of the podcast. Give her a follow. Unlearn 16 across all socials as well. Her micro content is truly incredible, educational, interesting, fun, and it's delivered in such a way that it's accessible to everybody. I guess that's what good teachers do. Educate the masses by trying to bring everybody a little bit of something, and you do such a great job of it. All the best to you. Uh, Really appreciate you taking a minute. Uh, Don't forget, the first part of this podcast is at the Unlearn 16 podcast. Make sure you go and sub her podcast as well. Uh, And all the best. Have a great weekend. Great rest of your week, too. We'll talk to you soon. Go heal that tattoo. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a little worried about the tattoo at this point. I'm like, okay, listen, it looks good. I don't know anything about tattoo preparation or tattoo maintenance. No, so I'm, I'm going to be in your couple days. I'm going to be in your DMs all weekend long. All right, all right, fair enough. Just for tattoo health. Thanks, all Joe. Right. We'll talk to you soon. There you go, Joanna Johnson. I'm learning 16. Name of the podcast. 
It's how we get better, right? That's how we get better. We talk to people, you know, people that we respect, people we like, people we love, people that have a difference of opinion, people that might know something that you don't. Have conversations. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of challenging your, your mindset. Don't be afraid of challenging what you think you know. It's how you come into new information. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Anyway, thanks for being a part of the show. Really appreciate it. As always, it's brought to you by our friends and very good friends at Cantorque that has made this possible. Continue to be an incredible podcast partner. they got a podcast of their own called Talking Torque. Uh, what do they do? They make rugged, hardworking torque wrenches for heavy industry around the world. 20 years of experience, really valued partner, wonderful people. Uh, and they've got all the solutions for heavy machinery, industrial tooling under one roof, specifically when it comes to any bolting needs. They make the best torque wrenches in the world right out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, and if you've got a solution that you've been looking for a bolting solution for, they'll do it. Boring machines, big tunnels, doesn't matter. It could be in the nuclear industry, railroad industry, heavy machinery, forestry. It doesn't matter. These guys make the best torque wrenches in the world uh, to spec for you so that they work and they are on call 100% of the time. So if you're looking to become a distributor or if you're looking to take advantage of their 20 years worth of expertise worldwide out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, proudly Canadian made, go to cantorque.com. Today, also brought to you by our friends at Gitch, the number one boxer brief in Canada, made for Canadians by Canadians right here in Canada, engineered for any level of performance, boxer briefs, pouch in the front. I love these things. Talk about them all the time. All my friends now wear them. Uh, they're the most comfortable boxer brief with the pouch that you can buy on the market. Use promo code GITCH3 now at checkout. You'll get yourself a free pair. Uh, go to edgefineimports.com and experience the performance that you can one rock or sprint through your day. Barely there. Super soft fabric, keeping you cool with moisture wicking action. Gitch only at edgefineimports.com. 15% off when you leave them your email address on your entire purchase as well. And brought to you by Muse on the Mic. Muse Massage Spa's brand new podcast with Emily and Riley. They get into the juice of being advocates and sexologists who own one of Toronto's, and if not, the best body rub parlor in the entire country. These are great girls, entrepreneurs, advocates, and educators. Their podcast is tremendous. Go to Muse on the mic, musemassagespa.com. You can check out their offering. You can get directions to the locations. You can check out your muses. You can look at different treatments. You can check out the spa, and you can become a muse if you're looking for a job. They believe sex work is work, and so do we. So go to Muse on the mic, download their podcast at Cryer Media or anywhere you get your fine podcasts, and of course, MuseMassageSpa.com. Emily and Riley are awesome, by the way. I think they're in Cuba right now, as a matter of fact. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, world travelers. <clears throat> Have a great day, everybody. Challenge yourself. Challenge yourself to learn something new today. Be nice. Of course, that's merit-based, too. If someone's not nice to you, don't worry about it. But generally speaking, do your best. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. The 
podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.